Welcome back to the Mental Perk Podcast, where we focus on real people, real issues, and real talk. I'm Carla Hutcherson, a licensed professional counselor and the director for the Hannah for Hope Foundation. And I'm Brandy Mock, executive board member for the Hannah for Hope Foundation. We are here to talk about all things mental health, whether it's daily stress, academic pressure, work and career issues, managing a diagnosis, or suicidal and self-harm behaviors. We want this to be a space of honest talk that helps to destigmatize perceptions surrounding mental health issues. Today, we are speaking with Dr. John Otto of Norman, Oklahoma. Dr. Otto was named 2022 Oklahoma Veterinarian of the Year and is here to speak with us today about veterinarians and suicide rate in his profession and the unique stressors veterinarians face that contribute to the statistics. Dr. Otto, tell us about what made you get into being a veterinarian. Well, um, ever since I was probably eight years old, I loved animals and um, I was asking my mom, I was in Virginia, Northern Virginia, I asked my mom if uh, animals had doctors, and she said, yeah, they're veterinarians, and I go, well, that's what I want to be, and then I asked, them if, I asked her if they had to move, and she said no, and I said, well, that seals the deal, because as a uh, child of FBI agent, um, we moved about every year and a half, and I got really tired of that fast, and anyway, so I love animals, and you don't have to move, and um, I've been happy with both ever since. So, well, that FBI <laughs> lifestyle had to be uh, pretty interesting as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, he, he ended up. My dad ended up being director, so we ended up moving all over the country. And then oh, wow! Back up in Virginia. So, yeah, it was quite a. But I got to see the whole country. But just it's just hard growing up as a kid, moving to different schools basically every year and a half, and then. I went to a different junior high and high school every year, so six and six. So that was really wow. um, not very well, either. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like animals were a comfort for you back when everything yeah, was no, so chaotic. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree 100%. I gravitated to them in the woods. Those were still to this day, those are places I found solace in. And um, I still enjoy both tremendously. Um, you know, animals are unconditional love and, you know, bringing you peace. And the woods are the same way. They're just really peaceful and you know, beautiful. And I don't know, I just um, find comfort in both. So yep, that's right. Well, your profession is near and dear to my heart because my daughter is in vet school. She's starting her second year. So that's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's a great profession. I, I absolutely love it. In fact, I was looking at my calendar and tomorrow I've got an extern or intern coming to visit with me for a couple of weeks and, um, you know, mentor her. And I've been mentoring her ever since she got into vet school. And uh, now she's in her fourth year, which is hard to believe, but yeah, it's a great profession. You can do so much with it. You can teach, you know, you can do research. You can be in the army. I mean, you can be private practice. You could do pharmaceuticals. I mean, just, just about anything. That, that degree allows you to do so many things and they're so interesting, but I, I absolutely love what I do. I love the animals. I love my clients, you know, and, um, it's, not one day is ever the same, that's for sure. Very interesting profession. Well, today I wanted to talk to you about veterinarians and, and the suicide rate that uh, we're, we're learning about. Can you talk to me a little bit yeah. about what, why, why the suicide rate is so high with veterinarians? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, a number of years ago, uh, I've had six friends, uh, good friends, commit suicide that were veterinarians. And... Um, a number of years ago, I, it started coming to light that our profession was, we were like number two behind dentists for a while. And then I think it was like two or three years ago, we surpassed dentists and suicide rates with veterinarians and, and, prof- and being professional. So we're number one right now. There are different factors. I've had a couple symposiums on this. And then 
I've worked hard to get um, health and well-being as part of the curriculum at our vet school at Oklahoma State University. Um, just because I got tired of watching it happen and then like everyone turned their back on it as far as like not recognizing it as an issue in our profession. Like, oh, if I don't look at it, it will go away. Well, it doesn't. And when you have so many friends like I have had that have died because of suicide, um, I just felt like it was time we needed to start recognizing it and doing something about it. So, but there's four uh, basic like factors. One is we tend to be perfectionists in uh, what we do. Um, we tend to work alone. Often we have our own practice or whatever. So isolationism is another one. Um, and then we work with youth, euthanasia all mm. the time. So we see when something's suffering, um, our response is to, you know, put it to sleep. And, um, I hate to say it, but I think that's kind of the MO when, um, one in our, my profession is starting to have a lot of difficulty with whatever it is you know, finances, divorce, all the different stresses that can happen. Um, the response is to put it to sleep and that's, you know, suicide mm. for us. And then the last thing is compassion fatigue. A lot of people don't understand that when we do put an animal to sleep or whatever in that kind of environment, especially the shelters, the shelters are very difficult environments to work in, but we do feel that. I mean, especially, you know, a lot of times we've known this animal since it was, you know, born or young, and then we've gotten very close with the family. So that, you know, we have tremendous empathy as veterinarians, too. That's just one of the common traits of a veterinarian. So we feel the loss um, tremendously. Our staff feels the loss. And it's, I think it's really good to talk about it after something like that's happened. We do it as a staff to decompress and know what's happened and that sort of thing. So, yeah, those are four major areas. And that's what makes us prone to suicide. Yeah, and do you think that schools are doing enough to train vets how to really uh, develop a level of comfort with the idea of death and really what yeah. the cycle yeah. of life? I mean, are they preparing them for yeah. what that looks like in school? No, I would say it's better than what it was, but the answer is no, it's not quite there yet. Um, Ten years ago, there was zero training about nothing. And then... Like I said, about 10 to 12 years ago, me and some others got really involved with starting to look at this as a, a real issue in our profession that we really needed to um, and look at it not just like in response to suicide, but as a prevention to suicide. In other words, start giving skill sets and like, uh, I'll just give an example, meditation. I started doing meditation probably about 15 years ago, you know, as part of by just keeping healthy and well, I do it every night. Well, that's a really good tool to train with. You know, meditation is a great tool to have and yoga and other things too. But anyway, so yeah, we didn't do a good job at all. In fact, we didn't even recognize it. We didn't even talk about it. It actually wasn't discussed when I was in school 30 years ago. So um, no, they're better than what they used to be. Like I said, that was part of the curriculum. And one of the things I really fought for at OSU was to get a counselor on call 24 um, seven. That's a great when idea. I was, yeah, and I, when I was in school, we we had a counselor, but it was um, a main campus counselor. It weren't wasn't veterinarian related, and oftentimes it was just like the, about half the time you couldn't get the counselor, so you'd have to leave a message. Well, when someone's in dire straits, you don't want to be sitting there leaving a message. You right. Know, you need someone right. to literally be on call. So. Um, we finally got a counselor um, in, and um, and then also had the Oklahoma, um, Colorado State has been one of the leaders in this area. So I had a professional fly out from 
Colorado State to Oklahoma State to talk to the students about mental health and what it is and, and what we can do to maintain it and help us uh, with some of the challenges that we face uniquely in certain areas, too. I think, just as you guys know, the more we talk about it and the more we shed light on it, the less likely it is um, to, to rear its ugly head. Um, so the more education, the more that we discuss it, the more that we talk about mental health as a disease and not just, you know, stigma. Um, and that there is help for it and that you can get help and you shouldn't feel embarrassed about it. That's exactly what Go we're ahead. trying to promote. That's exactly right. why we're doing this podcast is we want to make sure people are talking about mental health and realizing there's not judgment about it. This is an illness and right. there's lots of things that you can do to help it. Right. Uh, one thing right. that I have right. read about veterinary medicine is it's, it's long, hard hours, right? And you're, you're have right. all this empathy care and you're not only dealing right. with the empathy with your patients, but you've got to manage right. families and their grief and right. the emotional Right. they're going through so a lot of right. uh, a lot of vets take their work home with them more often than not right so they don't separate right. themselves and really do a lot of self-care right that's correct we are always we typically okay so the three top professions that when people look up to them and say yeah, these are the three the professions people children adults look up to are teachers nurses and veterinarians in mm-hmm. all three tend to be caregivers and empathetic and so that's one of the traits we have. We tend to take care of others first and not really look at ourselves. But as you know, the only way to truly take care of others is when we take care of ourselves first. Then we can take care of others. And that's really important to get through to people, especially veterinarians, that the only way you're going to be able to help others is if you help yourself first. And that's a hard mindset to change with veterinarians. Yeah, it really is. And I, you know, I think that also, I I think veterinarians have to deal with, um, you know, they're dealing with their patients, which are the animals, but the families sometimes don't Mm -hmm. understand veterinary medicine and they expect things out of their veterinarians that they cannot provide, like cost control, or they Mm -hmm. feel like that their vets need to do, you know, certain amount of things or medical care that they're not able to provide, or maybe they don't understand that the the patient's health is limited and doing more won't help, help help the pet. And so they start to blame the veterinarian and maybe even, you know, it can turn ugly it can be very emotional or yeah. they can badger yeah. the veterinarian yeah yeah you know that's a really good point you just brought up because i didn't realize that that started to become a huge issue in our profession until just i would say within the last six months i started hearing about that oh, wow. where clients have become very abusive towards veterinarians and i and the reason why it, it catches me off guard um, and I really mean it has because I've never had that happen. Really? With, what do you 30, think? What do you think the trigger years. is? What do you think's caused I, it? Well, part of it is I think. Um, well, one of the things is I really try to spend a lot of time with my clients, so I don't book fifteen-minute appointments. I don't do that. Okay. I book at least a half hour if it's a new client and they have, they're coming in with a like a, a, a referral case, you know, with lots of stuff. I will do it an hour. I do not like to rush through my clients and uh, with my staff either. So I really try to spend time. And my favorite part of practice really is the relationship with the client and the animal. I really enjoy that. So I tend to form good, strong relationships with my clients. And I always ask, you know, if there's any questions or if you have any concerns, I really try to stop at the end and listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. If there ever is an issue, I always try to address it directly. And if I feel like we haven't met the expectations of our client because of something we did, then I try to correct it right away. I really do. 
um, including no charging, whatever has happened, you know, whatever it is, I try to correct it. Um, if, if I can't, if it, if it doesn't meet their still after that, doesn't meet their expectations, then we have to go our separate ways. But it's very rare that that ever happens. And I think it's just because I take a lot of time to listen to my clients and talk to them. So that really, that what, like this bullying, badgering, I think part of that is when we get in corporate medicine, um, we, we, there's, there's expectations. There's, you know, so many clients per hour, so many, so you should be making so much revenue per day. Um, your average charge per transaction should be $205 per client. And you have all these expectations where you put a lot of burden on it and you look more towards productivity and numbers and not in people and animals. So I think there's starting to become uh, um, too much on the number side of things and clients mm. are feeling that way, like mm-hmm. they're not being listened to that all it is is about money. Every time I come in, you want to charge me more, that kind of thing. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I think, and then I think there's the anger that comes next with that. Um, you're not really caring about me. You're caring about the almighty daughter, dollar. Yeah. And then the anger comes out of that. And I think that's part of what's happening now. I'm not sure though. I, I'm speaking without, um, Oh, reference to uh, any uh, study cited. I have not read anything that is, but I have read in magazines that um, clients are getting angrier and upset more. And it's going to be interesting to see what the American Veterinary Medical Association says about this, because I'm sure they're going to do some research on it, because it is becoming, in fact, I've even had some vets say that they're carrying guns now or have guns on them. Wow. That's really scary to me. And I think that, you know, and we see this even in schools right now, that it's easier to bully uh, kids because of social media and being able to do things anonymously. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel that it's easier for people to write these bad reviews or to attack without, you know, because they can do it anonymously and they can do it without having to confront the person directly. But they can also ruin people's careers and make people's lives miserable. Right. Yeah. And it does happen. I you know, again, I'm fortunate. We, um, you know, I just say, you know, most of my, ref, my my new clients come either by, I do a lot of work with shelters, so I offer free exams for shelters, but it's word of mouth and then Google or whatever, that always were ranked high. So I just, you know, I don't even advertise, to be honest about it. It's just word of mouth and Google, and then the shelter stuff that I do. And it all seems to work out really well. But yeah, I, get, I guess that, you know, especially with young kids and social media stuff and the badgering, bullying, and um, really hurting people um, when they don't take much responsibility for what they've done. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. So that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that schools are doing enough to train vet students in conflict resolution, communication skills, mm-hmm. how to really relate to your patients? Mm-hmm. Well, they're trying. They're starting to address it. Again, like 10 years ago, there wasn't much done with that. There just really wasn't. It um, wasn't looked at. wasn't... Really, there weren't skill sets being taught to how to resolve conflicts, okay? They are, I mean, I did, I've been real active with OSU and curriculums and all that. And one of the things I did probably maybe maybe 15 years ago now was I really um, advocated to get cameras in the exam rooms so that to record the interactions with clients. And in the staff too. Staffs are important. You got to bring staff into this too, because there is a, a third leg on this, and that's the staff. And if the staff is not being treated well, it's not happy. Then 
there's another parameter that, that affects relationships and well-being, just besides the client vet and the vet, but staff as well. But anyway, you can watch yourself kind of objectively from that camera's view uh, as to how you do and how you can interact with clients and, uh, again, the staff and the animals. So I think it's important to look at that and get feedback. And um, the more you do, 80% of veterinary medicine is client communication. That's tremendous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have that. You don't have a productive, um, healthy um, uh, veterinary practice. You just don't. You have to have really good client communication. Well, when you don't have that communication, which I know you know we experienced not too long ago, is right. it? it right. I mean, people. It, it actually makes you go. Do you realize this is our family member that we're concerned about? It it just it it's amazing, and then I start to see the I can see the frustration that some of these families are having with the veterinarians that are not uh, responding, or like you said, the staff and and or right. overcrowding, or you know right. the money situation, and that it's hard. Yeah. It's hard seeing mm-hmm. that whenever someone comes in and they they have a loved fur baby and they can't afford right. to take care of it. Um, and then, and then the stress it puts along you guys. Now, I've read recently that, according to an article pub- published in nineteen, a study that found that the female veterinarians are up to three point five times more likely to kill themselves than members of the general population. Do you find mm-hmm. that there's a difference between the male vets and the female vets, or do you think it's kind of just a combo of both? Well, that's interesting. So I have not heard a lot about that. What you just said, mm-hmm. but. I will say this, there's 80% more female vets in school now than male vets. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that, that has really shifted since that started happening right when I was graduating in 90. So before then, it was like 50-50, and then it was the reverse. It was like 70, 30, 70% men, 30% women. So it's definitely changed. The, the dynamics have changed. Um, I think part of the, on the woman's side of things, and I can't really explain from experience, I can't, of course, deal or directly talk to this, but one of the issues that's very difficult in the practice is changing that way is that often women have children mm-hmm. and it's the balance between working full time and trying to take care of kids and, you know, the household and all that's very, very stressful. And um, you don't feel like you're doing an adequate job of any, and that becomes very frustrating. The interesting thing is, though, I've had my own practice for 28 years now, um, and we started having kids right when I first started my own practice. One of the things that I did not want to have happen is what like happened with me and my dad is my dad was never home. He was always traveling or working cases on weekends, kidnapping, bank robbery, etc. One of the things I did not want to do is lose that contact with my kids. So I was often the one taking the school and picking them up because I had my own business so I could move my time around. The problem with some of the women in like corporate medicine particularly is they don't have that flexibility. Right. So you are told this is your time you're going and therefore you cannot be with your kids. And that's, I guess, it's got to be very hard because I didn't, I did not do that nor did I want to. I want, in fact, I closed down one of my hospitals because I was losing that time with the kids. And mm-hmm. I was like, what's this? Money or time with the kids? time with the kids, you know, and family. So I just closed the one. And the interesting thing, you no, know, is productivity with that one hospital doubled. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe because you know, more time was spent on it, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. So it really, I thought, well, I'll, I'll take a drop in income. The opposite happened. Actually, income went up, which was, I still can't figure it out completely what happened, but it did happen. 
So, but I think that's one of the issues is the lack of family time, guilt without having that family time, especially with children. And, I, and it is the truth because I did, there was a, a, a leadership class being offered about five years ago with the Oklahoma Veterinary Medical Association. And I agreed to be a mentor in that, that thing. And um, a lot of, uh, most of who I dealt with were women. One of the issues was this area. And one of the number one complaints was the inability to be with the family and the kids when they want to. And I think so it, that's a, I know it's a tremendous deal. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that it's hard to separate work in home life and especially when maybe and we've talked about the empathy part of of your job and if you've had to put three or four or five mm-hmm. patients down right. in a day mm-hmm. you you're going right. to carry that with you all the way home mm-hmm. and that affects yeah. your home life yes it does and that's you're right and that is extremely i've ended a few days with two or three euthanasias at the end the reason why they do it at the end is because they don't want anybody else you know in the building you know what i mean so yeah. they can, we now have our own euthanasia room which has its own door, which I love. I, so when I add it onto my practice, I put that in. It's a nice large room. It has candles. It has nice music, you know, beautiful paintings in it, very comfortable room. Um, we can even do it on the floor or on a table, depending on the animal and the client. And then it has its own exit, so they don't have to go around. But, yeah, when you're in the day with two or three euthanasias at the end, you go right home and everyone's happy and jumping around. It's hard. It's it is. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. How hard it is. is it when you're you're having to put an animal down simply because a family can't financially yeah. take care Hold of that? It, yeah. it, it just, for you, it, it's got to be, or any vets, it's got to be just yeah. hard to look at the animal mm-hmm. and, and know that you're yeah. you're fixing to do what you're doing. How hard is that for yeah. you guys to? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's very difficult. Often, I'll tell you, if it's, kids involved and if, if it's something surgical i can take care of a lot of times i'll just have them sign the paper and then i'll just take care of it because i don't like to do it to be honest about it and mm-hmm. i like again i have my own practice so i can afford to do that kind of thing um i tell you where it's really hard and i did this for 14 years i volunteered at the norman animal shelter when you put down a bunch of those um, animals and the only reason you're putting them down they're all healthy but Ugh. because they don't have homes and um, there were several times, there's three times at the Norman Animal Shelter, I had to do complete kills, kill everything because the disease was so bad. And we had to start over. And so I ended up killing like 50 in a oh day. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, you've got like puppies and kittens oh. that are screaming. Oh, gosh. And it's, oh, let me tell you, you move through like a robot, you know. But at the end, I mean, I, I remember driving down the road. And all of a sudden, I would just see the flash of the animals in the in the alley, uh, tree deep with urine and feces, and oh, it was just horrible. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's just deathly silence. It's just you could hear a pin drop when you're done, uh, and once whether it was barking and all that, everything is gone. And I tell you, it is extremely. And there really needs to probably be more done for shelter employees with compassion fatigue oh, and yeah, that absolutely. because there is such a bad place. Now our Norman shelter, we're so much better. We used to euthanize 97%, but now we actually have the best life release rate of any public municipality in the central part of the country, and we're up to 96.6%. Oh, so I love that. We've been able to turn that around with education and, and in-house spay and neuter, which is great. But it is still a very difficult place to be, and, and, and more of that occurs as far as euthanizing healthy animals. Um, because of no home than any other place that I've seen. So that's that's still, in fact, I saw the movie um, uh, where the Guardians of the Galaxy, right, went up and saw it. 
And as the scene in the beginning where Rocket, the little raccoon guy, is in the cage, you know, and there's really dark and dismal. And that reminded me so much of the early days of the shelter. And it brought back a lot of memories sitting there watching it. And I had a very, very hard time watching that again. And I think there's probably some sort of, I don't know, I haven't seen a study done, but there's got to be some sort of level of PTSD that goes with that. Of course, you know what I mean? 100%. Severe, like that, because I still can see, every once in a while I'll see a flash come back over the years of a scene like that. There. And it's very hard to get over, and it's hard to rationalize, too, what you've just had to do. Yeah, and the, and the high numbers of depression and anxiety that go along with that, and, and, I, and I can imagine what you just described leading to trauma and PTSD. Right. And, right. and it, yeah. it kind of takes us to that statistic. One in six veterinarians have seriously considered suicide. That's yes, just staggering to me. That. That's mind-blowing. Yes, yes, I saw that stat, too. And, again, I went to a funeral. His name's Joe Bills Reynolds. I can use the name that. Joe Bills had a hard time, and um, one of the issues he was dealing with was drugs and alcohol. Um, but he had, he had a, a beautiful family and two young kids. And um, anyway, he killed himself in a parking lot um, not too far from his house. And uh, I went to his funeral, and, you know, they had a big cutout picture of him holding up a fish with his boys uh, next to him at the, you know, um, at the, at the um, celebration for his life. And uh, God, his, his uh, wife was up in the front row, you know, crying with the two, two boys. And I was looking at that picture and I was just like, damn, you know, we have got to start doing something. I am tired of going to these funerals. And then, yeah. and then, you know, you hear these scholarships, right? You know, in the spring we have these scholarships for the vet students. And, you know, I'd sit there and everyone's like applauding for someone receiving the scholarship. But I know about 30% of those are scholarships because the people have killed themselves. Oh, wow. You know, oh, and, I'm just like, you know and I'm just like, you know, there's a happy and sad part to this. But, sure. you know, and one of my, one of my classmates just kept around and kept, you know, killed himself with a train and just went and parked right in front of the train tracks and it hit him, killed him. And, you know, so again, I'd see his mom there. I'd give her a hug, you know, at the awards banquet thing. And, but then again, I know it's because he killed himself, you know, so, we, I just got tired of this. And just, we got to start talking about it. We got to start addressing it. Yeah. We started, got to start working with the students early, not later when there's attempts yes. for suicide, yes. early before the suicide thoughts and plans start. And we got to start showing them a network of support yes. and coping skills and life skills to help them through this. And then also to show them how it's okay to ask for help that it's not being weak, it's actually being strong. But it's like you when you do that, you help others. Right, you know? and it's like you said, though, it starts with those students in good institutions that are, yeah. have a strong leadership that are making right. sure they're mentoring their students properly right. and, and preparing right. them and comforting yeah. them, knowing that they can ask any questions and yeah. that they can come to them whenever they're having their been put situations that are right. you know, they're they're struggling uh, emotionally. Right. I mean, it's it's right. I can't imagine now with your your friends that have that have completed suicide, Doctor Otto. Did you see any? I mean, obviously drinking and that kind of thing are can lead up to it, and those are kind of signs. Yeah. But did were you shocked? Have you been shocked with? the suicides of your friends or did you see things? Well, there's a few of them I knew had issues with drugs and alcohol. So that's, you know, you look at different things, you know, depression, things like that, anger, you know, and so there's certain signs, you know, personality changes, you know, withdrawing, that sort of thing. Some though were really, they did catch me off guard. You know, I had one guy 
he had three kids and um, a beautiful wife, and he shot himself. You know, and that was uh, Shane Eckhart's his name. Again, it's the Eckhart scholarship thing. You know, it, again, I would sit there and see those three kids and him. I remember him studying. He was a year ahead of me. And that just caught me really off guard. I don't know what exactly happened with that. There was no, there was, I mean, I know he liked to drink and stuff, but I don't saw, I didn't see any patterns of abuse. Uh, but again, I don't know what happened there. You know, it's just, um, it's just, I, I don't know. It's just sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't. That's why I think it's so good to just lay the tools down early so that they're willing to, or able to pick those up, whether mm-hmm. it be asking for help, going to get counseling services, therapy, that's, you know, there's such a stigma about that now mm-hmm. that when you get professional help, oh, you're weak, blah, blah, blah. No, I would really try to tell people you become better a person right. when you ask for help and get that help. You just do. Yeah, I love that message. I love that message. That yeah. and that's what we've really been. You know, we're we're trying to to get people to understand their strength in asking, their strength in talking about yeah. it, and so right. that that message is just so on point with what we're trying to do here at at Mental Park is just really trying to get yeah. people to say, you know, that's that's a, a sign of strength. Being vulnerable and, right. and asking for help is a sign of strength. Yes, it is, and oftentimes so many of these you know little guys or some of them were girls, but. They were, I just know that they just did, couldn't ask for help. They just it's thought of it as being weak, you know, and it, it's not. And I really, I think it's important for people in my profession or any profession to come out and say, you know, I've gotten help, I've needed help, blah, 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 and it's helped me. And it's not because I'm weak. It's made me stronger yeah. as a human being and more comfortable with myself. And it is the truth, you know. And that's one thing I really try to give to the students is that, there, there is help, you know, you can get help and this is how help works. Well, I think and it'd be great. Good, I, I really think it'd be great if these learning institutions would really seek the advice of professionals like you and yeah. actually design a course within their program that teaches right. these uh, veterinary students about mental health mm-hmm. and the need to take care of themselves and what that means right. and what that looks like. Because I, mean, I often right. wonder how you think about it, Dr. Otto, how, prepared do you think or Carla you guys how often do you think these students are prepared for 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 a lot of the tragedy honestly that you guys have to deal with emotionally financially I mean the time management what do you what do you mm-hmm. think Carla I mean for well, your... it... go ahead Carla go ahead yeah you know I I think that we're not prepared enough I that's what I really believe I feel like that that there's so much more that we need to do to make sure that that professionals are prepared to deal with these issues. Do you think they even know, um, Dr. Otto, when they go into this this field, that that there's so much involved emotionally that, do you think they have a clue? No, I'm afraid they don't. Um, I, I don't think it's really discussed um, as much as it should be. Um, and, and of course it's not, because that's why we're number one in suicide. Right. If we've been doing what we should be doing, we won't be there. Is yeah. what that's the point. Yeah. The reason why we're number one is because we're, and that's nothing to be proud of. It's it's something that we should look at and say we need to do something about it, not to look away from it. You know what I mean? And just say, oh well, that's just the way it is. No, it doesn't have to be that way. We can do things to make it better. And this again, public education courses, having therapists come in and talk about this is what you can do. And this is how it works to make yourself healthier, 
mentally, physically, spiritually. And I really believe that they all tie together, by the way. We're talking about mental health, but I think, you know, when our physical health is good, that affects our mental health. When our spiritual health is good, that affects our mental health. Right. So I think there's other areas that we all, we just tend to zero in on the mental part of it, but there are other influencers. And like I worked out today, I went and swam, I went and lifted. Yeah, exactly. You know, I to, usually I go to the park and I go for a walk on Sunday afternoons, you know, and I love that. I love being, like I said, when we started with this program, I love being in nature. I love finding the solace in it. I love watching birds them sing and I just it's really and it's very important to take that time and, and, and take care of yourself because if you don't you know I had a good friend that did a lot of work with the Merv building bombing he was an FBI agent he studied a lot his postdoctoral degree was in mental health and treatment of um, law enforcement officers and he studied the Israelis who about 90% of the men had PTSD but he had a saying he says you process it or it processes you Wow. And it is so true that if we do not deal with what's bothering us, whatever that is, and we bury it, it'll come out in bad ways. And one of the ways it can come out is suicide. Yeah, I so agree with that. Do- and and yeah. the things that you're listing are great coping skills. And I think these have to be taught when these students are in vet school. I mean, learning the effects right. of mindfulness and how to practice mindfulness and distress tolerance right. Right. and really being able right. to understand their emotions and regulating them. So there's so many mm-hmm. like skills that can be taught that you were just talking about that help you with distractions and just being present and in the moment and try not to stay mm-hmm. in those negative thoughts that are right. really important right. for students to learn. Right. You know, again, we tend to be very hard workers, too. And one of the things I do, and I first was, I'll be honest, I felt guilty about it. But the longer I've done it, the less guilty I feel. But I, I've got a log cabin up in northern Minnesota that's just beautiful. And I was going up for a couple of weeks every year. Then I, I started extending it to three weeks. And so now I have it up to a month. And I take the entire month of July off. And I go oh, up there wonderful. and I have my family, my friends. And, and I really, I really, and at the end, I always tell people, like, I'm doing it right now. I'm telling people I go up from July, like, 1st, or I'm actually heading up June 28th, and then I'm coming back on the 21st, you know, something like that. Well, really, I'm coming back on the 30th. <laughs> that last <laughs> week, it's only John's week. There's no one else up there. And it's my time to myself. And I really, it was by accident that I came across that. I had a, a couple of friends cancel at the end of one trip when we were actually building the cabin and I had that last week and I thought, what am I going to do? You know, how am I, and now I found out I enjoy that time more than any other time. It's my time. And I wow. do whatever I want. That's really important to feel okay with that, especially when you have like the type A personality where you work and work and work and, you know, and, and I have that and I'm from the German background. That's how my dad was. So it was very hard for me to give myself permission to relax, but that's very important to do. That's so important, and I think that that's encouraging uh, to hear. Um, So I want to talk about real quick when we get ready to close into this. um, Tell me about what you do for the prisoners, your ministry that you work with with animals. I think that is so amazing, and I think everybody should hear about it. Yeah, well, thank you for asking about that. It's become one of my um, passions in life, for sure. Um, I guess it, it definitely is a ministry now. Um, I, it, it's just uh, to give you an idea what it's about, uh, go on to YouTube and watch The Dogs of Lexington. It, it, it did go to the Emmys. It's a good film. I produced it back in like 13, uh, 2013, 
2013 Gray Fredrickson, who did The Godfather and stuff, and I worked together on it. So it's a good film. It's called The Dogs of Lexington. It gives a really good overview of what the program's about. But and what we do is we take animals from, like, the shelters, sanctuaries, and then they go to the prison. And I have both programs in a men and women's prison. And then the inmates work with the animals for anywhere from about eight weeks to 13 weeks, depending what the animal's going to be used for. And they're trained either in basic skills or to become a therapy dog. Like I've got one dog coming out soon to her name's Willow. She's going down to heal the school system because they've had so much trouble there with meth and methamphetamine destroying families I and mean, the entire families, the kids going to foster care and the stress on the children, the stress on the staff and everything. So anyway, the dog's going down there and it's being trained at Mabel Bassett, Women's Prison. So that dog is going to stay probably closer to 13 weeks. But the animals come out and they're fully trained and then they can go become companion pets. And I work with vets, veterans who have PTSD, who are having a hard time integrating back into society. And especially if they live alone, we can provide them with a companion pet. Um, widows, um, like when my mom lost my dad, um, we uh, got her a dog named Chip as a companion pet. That's, that's how the program was first started at Lexington was to um, that's why it's called Friends for Folks, is we're, they're providing friends for folks who have lost their spouses. Um, but we do a lot more now, just in just pet therapy and um, companion pets in general. And um, it's a great program, and I've been working at 27 years now. I started in uh, March of '96, so um, it's a really a very interesting thing. And I got to meet Sister Pauline. She's the nun that created the program back in 1980. Um, in Washington State, and uh, amazing lady, uh, terrific. In fact, Hollywood made a movie about her called um, Within These Walls. And Laura Dern played her, which was a really good movie. But she oh, was amazing, amazing lady. Yeah, yeah, I, and she had now all the talk. You talk about mental health issues. My God, she was institutionalized 19 times oh, and become a cutter. Oh, tried suicide. She was really something. And um, when she got into the Catholic faith, is when she converted and. She actually quit cutting when that happened. But anyway, it's a beautiful program. I'm privileged is, to be in it. And Go there's, ahead. And there's so much, there's so much uh, that pets do for mental health. I mean, it's oh, just amazing tremendous. how much in yes. people's mental health improves when they yes. have pets. And I think yes. that just highlighting that and how therapeutic it is is, mm-hmm. is so important. Yeah. Um, you know, That's so much. Mm-hmm. Dr. Otto, I really, um, I, I love your message today about yes. finding strength and getting help. And I think that's just so mm-hmm. important. And we want to yes. make sure that our audience out there understands that if you are struggling, if you are having um, mental mm-hmm. health issues, if you're uh, you know, struggling every day in, in just crisis, or if you're having self-harm right. thoughts or suicidal thoughts, if you're having right. any of those things, we want you to reach out to a loved one, a friend, mm-hmm. a family um or a mental health professional if you have access to care. If you don't, please dial 911 if you're in immediate danger. Um, You Mm. can also call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. There are so many people that are here for you, and talking only helps your situation. So please reach out for help. Thank you so much, Dr. Otto, for being our guest. We really, truly appreciate it. And we want to... We want to thank our audience for tuning into Mental Perk. We hope our talk today highlighted real people working through real issues based on mental health. Our goal at Mental Perk is to make sure every one of you knows you matter. You're You're never never alone. alone.